Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. My guest today is Bruce Ross. Bruce operates in the realm of inner game of leadership. His propriety approach to leadership development is research-based and has been honed over 37 years of working directly with the full spectrum of leaders. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. We were connected through another coach who's just a phenomenal person. And she said, I need to talk to you because you're a phenomenal person. You actually have helped so many people level up big time. What I would love to know first is what set you up in this journey that you're on? Because it didn't just hit you overnight. You had to have started maybe from a young young man, a young boy. Um, tell us what your upbringing was like. Tell us, we want to get to know you. Who is Bruce Ross, right? Ah. What made you who you are? You know, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, everything. Let's get into it. Wow, okay. Well, I can take you back and in terms of answering your first questions, what got me, one of the primary things that got me to where I am today started with my first conscious thought, and that was around about three years of age. Mm-hmm. and. What that was, was I wanted to run from here to there, and I did, and it felt amazing. And I had this surge of not just the wind in my face, but my whole body was working in athletic ease, and it felt glorious. And in terms of what, what states does a human, what states is a human meant to have on this planet, in my naive innocence, I cognized that that was one such state. Mm. And when I compared that to other experiences that I'd had, it was a superior experience. So thereever after, I started to compare, I began to consciously compare how did that experience relate or or measure up to that. I now now know it as a flow state, as a peak experience. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that um, gave me an indication is this benchmark or something that made sense. Now, in terms of my growing up, a single-parent family, grew up with my mother in the 60s and in New Zealand at that time. She was looked down on, basically, as a a fallen woman for having divorced, because I know these days you divorce blended families, it's quite common. But back then, it was absolutely unheard of. So she was... It was frowned upon, yes, absolutely. um, It's, you know, good, hugely brave thing to do, and... Three kids. Mm. I'm the youngest of three. And so she brought us up on a single income. Um, we didn't have a car for a very long time. She biked to and from work. I remember the first car was <laughs> a Fiat Bambina. If anyone knows what that is, it's a tiny car. Anyway, mm. what was interesting, uh, well, I'm not sure how, how far you want me to go into the whole childhood experience. Let's do it. I mean, we want to know you, right? Okay. This is what, what makes you who you are. And, and it has to deal with what happened when you were young. When we look back into things and we really evaluate, it's our upbringing, the way we were brought up. Maybe because you didn't have that father figure at home, you understood things differently. 
more than maybe somebody else who had both parents at home. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, my mother was an extraordinarily private person, so we didn't have friends around after school. In fact, we didn't do much socialising. In fact, I remember very strongly she'd say, come back from work and say, oh, people at work were talking about their families, but I didn't say anything. So it's almost like we had to keep our lives separate, our private lives separate. And I think that's probably part of the insertion of shame mm. that somehow I was less or you didn't share. Uh, you had to keep yourself to yourself. And consequently, I didn't really have any friends growing up. I learned to be very self-reliant mm. and that whatever was going on, it was totally over to me. And one of the things that it showed up, it's a curious, you know, we've all got our own um, idiosyncrasies but for me one of the things was perfectionism because I guess that's the what I have heard is that at the base of perfectionism is shame so there is it is part of the same family right right and I remember when I was in I was about 10 or 11 we call intermediate here and I think you call it middle school or something I'm, I'm not sure but I was it came time for reports we had teachers so we revolved around a number of teachers and so when it came time for reports probably about five or six teachers would write their comments. He achieved this and his attitude was that, and here's a comment. But what I did was I stole um, about 10 blank reports. Because <laughs> in my head, what I wanted to do was to craft the perfect report to give to my mother. Mm. Now, I, I clearly hadn't thought it through because each teacher would have their own different writing style. They'd write something <laughs> different each time, different pens, all the rest of it. But that was my intent. I remember I went about the actual purloining of these things with, with such stealth and care and timing and so forth. But eventually I got found out. I left them on my desk at home. <laughs> my mother found them. Anyway, so, but what sat in behind that was a deep sense of insecurity. And I couldn't present myself as who I was. I had to be perfect. Mm, pressure, a lot of pressure to feel like you have to present yourself. That's perfect. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I think at the base, the whole shame thing is the other end of it is you've got to present yourself as as better or, you know, this whole perfect thing without even knowing. See, perfection is in itself is such a seductress and we're introduced to as Ken and Barbie dolls and, you know, this is the perfect look and the whatever it is. There is this right. image, this concept, which doesn't actually exist. There is no perfection in nature. and But the, the human has entangled our thinking in that. Right. And then we try, we, we, we get stress and anxiety and we need pills and instruction on how to climb out of it. Mm. I mean, it's a weird system we have. Yeah, we do. So that was that was one of the threads, and it certainly has been one of the threads of one of my, you can say, on the one hand, my demons or wounds, and then they say the wound is the way mm -hmm. to get me to where I am today. But we didn't grow up with much money, so well, very little money, in fact. But on the other hand, it was New Zealand, and New Zealand was very stable, is relatively stable, and in a beautiful part of the country, and so a lot of things that went our way, and I got a university degree and so forth. But in the context of what I do now in coaching, I have designed my life to do what I'm doing. So I'm doing, have worked on my spiritual purpose, and I love to do what I do, and the all of these different elements on the way through, I can see, have driven me to a point of further questioning and further questioning. So I, I work with leaders, and when you think, when I think back on what triggered that, right. it was because I was ripped apart in public, humiliated by a leader, mm. and I couldn't understand why someone in a respected position could or would do that. And I thought, what the heck is that? Maybe it's something wrong with me. So I started to read up about leadership and found out that in fact they weren't performing as a leader; they were more more a manager. And so that started my journey around leadership. You know, I've since then spoken on leadership and created MBA programs on it. Not that's what I do now. So it's interesting the wound is the way and it it causes a deep sensitivity. The reason you feel the pain is it causes a deep sensitivity and you you there's something in the human ability, the psyche to how do I overcome this? How do I move through this? How do I find a solution? Mm -hmm. And certainly that's what I've sought to do because there are many other people who've been through that or something similar or their own version of it. So how do you get through and past that and, and grow and become a stronger, better and, and more wholesome person as a result? Right. And, and when we think about everything that happened to you, I mean, the, the, the way your mom raised you guys, and you said you were kind of alone, but you actually had two siblings. Were you guys close? 
Uh, with my sister, yes. With my brother, no. Okay. Yeah. Brother, brother, brother rivalry. <laughs> well, I just so such different people. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So when we think about all the emotional scars that you endured, right? And a lot of people don't really understand scars where a facial scar can make someone who may be a sweetheart look like a criminal. Or, you know, if you have a scar on your elbow or on your knee, nobody really notices it. Mm. But it's really noticed on your face. Sure. The scars no one really notices are the emotional. Mm. The ones that you you endure as things happen to you, all these different things. And when we think about a scar, a scar is supposed to be a good thing because it's it's healing, right? But it creates a tougher skin. Mm. And what happens on with the emotional scars, there is no tougher skin being built. We actually have to build it ourselves, right? So that's, I think, what the work that you started doing. When did you realize that that's something that you needed to start doing for your own emotional scars? What age were you around? Well, it's... I think it's an awareness that there's something stopping you. You have all these external messages like you can do anything or you've got this immense potential. And that's always driven me, that whole sense of adjacent possible, that there is this next level there. And then it gets reiterated, and there are these great people, and I've achieved X, Y, and Z, and you can too, and whatever. Right. That, And then, well, there's something blocking, but never much understanding as to what actually it was. And I, I hadn't really been introduced to emotional scars or trauma or the the body keeps count and, and those sorts of things. I'd just been, there is no other way to just keep keep on going. But it wasn't pro. So it was it was almost like you have the bungee cord you're trying to go forward, but there's a bungee cable to your back and you just really can't get past a certain point and it gets incredibly frustrating and you realize you're stuck inside the same old groundhog day of repeating mm-hmm. what you've done. So I guess that made my thirst and interest and need even stronger right. and the other thing too which exacerbated it was um <laughs> when i was growing up i was really quite naive about so many things and one of them was i how do you become an elder of the tribe that is i did want to be a good person growing up i wanted to be you know thought elder of the tribe you know there's people you look to and ask them questions and they give you sage advice and did want to be one of those and i thought well how do you get there well i think you get there by going to university because that's where you learn about the universe right and this was my naive thinking, right? <laughs> I had no idea. I went to university and found out that that wasn't the case. It was more around job and academia and concepts and things. But what was interesting in that thirst and that naive interest in what we're meant to be doing as humans on this planet, um, I did come across an organization and they actually supplied that information. So I became hugely, so it's like two things, two levels of education going on. Right. And what was fascinating was that this other one, it gave me such a such highs i mean there's no drugs or anything like that it was all informational based um but extraordinary high levels of a sense of unity and almost spiritual sense of oneness and so i compared that to my three-year-old feeling right very similar Mm. and so i thought wow this is what human life is about so that elevated me above my own it's like above the clouds you feel so good it feels great you want to keep going back here so i did every night for you know years and years and years but the the downside of that was i crashed down to my everyday feeling of everyday life and ineptitude and naivety and not getting my financial act together and not really understanding relationships and girlfriends and all that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and i I'd, I'd, I'd just smash the ground after such highs. So I made a decision that I needed to put the rungs in the ladder because if feelings the high, the peak feelings were rung 50, I had to put the rungs in the ladder to climb back up so I, can, I wouldn't keep falling. So that's also part of the path that's got me to where I am today is what are the rungs in the ladder? What are the necessary understandings so I don't fall as far and I can get back there again and be more conscious? So part of that learning is to do with understanding the brain, the emotional triggerings or traumas, how do you un- unentangle those? Is it possible? Is it just breath work? Is it just yoga? Is it just meditation? Is it just sleep and movement to get to high energy states or, or is there something else? And so it did push me into those more spiritual realms of consideration and interest and pursuit. And that's another one of the, the elements inside the, the, the how to find solutions for oneself. When did you? Because you you are helping leaders, but not just the typical way. You you're doing it through psychology. You're doing it through science. 
you're doing it where you created your own floorpreneurship, I, I believe you call it? Well, yeah, it's called Flowpreneur, and that's the combination of flow, which is the peak states of performance where we feel our best and we perform our best, and then the preneur is our drive. So motivation, get up and go, spirit, whatever. So, yeah, that's that's where that comes from. And what so I, I tried to look at things simply, and one of the things I realized a while ago is that the core of leadership is energy. The job of a leader is to give energy. The job of staff members is to suck their energy. The job of children is to suck their parents' energy. The job of parents is to give energy. Right. And so I see there's, there's a very clear similarity. And when we have high energy levels, we can perform our best. We are more relaxed, more open, more confident. When we have low energy, we can't think as clearly. Decisions don't stick. We're reactive. We're brittle. We are more blamey. And we simply can't lead. So if you're talking about leadership, you need high energy levels because you're giving energy, but you need high energy for yourself. And so therefore, the question you've got to ask, well, three questions you need to ask and answer is what sucks or or leaks our energy? How do we top up with high quality energy? And then how do we optimize? And so when you're talking about the, the traumas or the scars, that's one of the areas that leaks energy, which is why am I interested in that area? Because you've got to start there first. How do I stop leaking energy? And then how do I top up with high quality energy? Yeah, you're, you're quite right. The approach that I take to leadership is a little bit different. One of the things that, that you are doing is, is you definitely are helping leaders understand what is it themselves, what they're doing, their atmosphere, their ambience, their... So you're going deeper into just not necessarily as to what they're doing, but how they're doing it. And their state as they're doing it. Mm. What do I mean by that? So we can be in a agitated, anxious, worried state, Mm -hmm. or we can be, it's what I call above the clouds or below the clouds. So above the clouds, we feel it's clear air, we feel smooth, we feel open, we feel spacious, we feel relaxed, all's well in the world. I know it's not, but it feels that way. Below the clouds, that's where we feel varying degrees of anxiety, constriction, overwhelm, (laughs) panic perfectionism, shamism, I mean, all of those those sorts of feelings. And so we literally can't lead ourselves when we're in below the cloud state, and we try the best we can, but there's so many things to distract us, so many things to take our, take our energy, mm-hmm. whereas above the clouds, we're very clear, we're quite contained, our energy is contained. In terms of being our best or, or working, because I think everyone's capable of leadership, it's just how much energy. If they've got, if they're contained, if they're relaxed, if they're open, if they're authentic, they can lead. Why? Because people listen when they speak. Mm-hmm. But when you're below the clouds, when you're fragmented or distracted, you speak, and it's almost like your words land on the ground in front of the person. They don't quite get it, right. and so it's very difficult to follow that. Yeah, that, that's the approach. Is really how to re-energize, how to re-energize our core. So part of that is answering questions: Why are we here on on the earth? To do what? This is purpose. And also to, especially in today's world, to be careful not to leak our energy unnecessarily because that's mm-hmm. we get disempowered and we feel frustrated and we can't focus and can't think and it all comes out wrong and life feels terrible. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And take us through, like, if we have a leader that comes to you and they're asking, Bruce, I need your help. I feel like I'm, maybe I'm successful. I'm already, you know, at a top level, but I don't feel like I'm fulfilling what I need to. Yep. My family life is no good. I'm always screaming at the kids or I'm angry with my wife. Or if they come to you, they're obviously looking for to level up in one area or another. What's your process to figure where they are and, and where they should be? Yeah. Okay. So the first concept I introduce them to is energy. Mm-hmm. And you've got a one to 10 rating and anyone can go, you know, 10 is high, one is low. Where do you feel you are at the moment? Oh, I'm not very good. I'm a three or a four or a five or a seven or whatever. Everyone can do their own self self rating. And the energy has an immediate, you can say, well, there's a performance level that goes with each energy level. So you can't expect of yourself to be at an eight performance, peak performance. If you're at a three out of 10 energy, you simply can't. It's, it's not possible. So that's self-awareness of energy levels. And then the question is, so what energy level does leadership sit at? 
leadership is to do with change, right? And they've come to me because they want change, mm-hmm. as opposed to management, which is status quo, tweaking the status quo, but fundamentally status quo. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting question. And my answer to that is it's at least an eight, eight, eight and above. And the reason for that is if the job of a leader is to give energy, then if I come from an eight, you pick it up as a seven, I'm giving you energy. If I come from a seven, you pick it up as a six, I'm not really shifting you. If I come from a six, you pick it up as a five, and I'm sucking your energy. So mm. what we're talking about, that benchmark of eight, eight and above, but eight, is, is very useful because what that says is that for me to help you, we need to be in an environment, have a conversation, in which is eight out of 10 energizing for you. So you feel eight out of 10 energized, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, my information just will land, won't land. Well, you'll hear it, but it won't actually land. You won't be able to do anything with it. So that's the first place is a recognition of the importance of energy. Then we go, okay, so I get it that in the course of your day, our energy goes up and down, up and down, up and down. It's not a constant thing. So therefore, what is it that causes the up and downness? And the answer is wherever your attention is. So think about attention is like a torch and you're in a dark room. You turn the torch on. And wherever you point it, so you aim it down, at the other end of the beam is where you put your attention, there is an energetic level associated with that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what you get. So if I was to say to you, look, tell me some of your problems or your biggest problem at the moment, you'd start talking about it. I'll put your attention there. And as you talk about it, you'll get the energetic level of that thing. And you wouldn't feel very good. Mm -hmm. If I said, okay, what's been your peak experience in your life or this week or whatever? I'm directing your attention to a high point because I've directed the beam to a high point. You connect to that thing. You start talking about it. You connect to the energy of that. So it's wherever our attention goes. Now, the thing is, we can be consciously putting our attention on things. But most of the time, it's our semi and our unconscious that directs our attention. And these are called beliefs. You and I are having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, as we entered into this conversation, I'll be thinking, gee, am I up for this? I could be thinking, wow, am I up for this? I don't know if I am. I'm prepared for this. Is, heck, I hope, I'm not sure if it's going to go. So I'm straight away, I'm having this internal dialogue. Right. And because it's a dialogue around uncertainty, there will be a certain energetic level that goes with that. And it's going to go down. Versus another way, it could be, hey, I'm looking forward to this. I am really prepared, but it's going to be exciting wherever it goes. It's going to be fascinating. You see, there's a different energetic level according to where I put my attention. But for most of us, well, not most, pretty much all, there is a negative bias in the brain. It's called a deficit focus. A human, Mm -hmm. as a condition, is conditioned towards negativity. We spend, if there's a beautiful picture or a gory picture, we spend six times as long on the gory picture than we do on the beautiful picture. And this is why in media, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, if it's gory, if it's nasty, horrible, if there's a shock, you know, shock, horror, oh, yeah. you know, the latest emergency, you know, all these, all these highly emotive words, outrage, you know, you know, massively negative. So we have this orientation as humans towards the negative to focus on the negative. We move in the direction of where we focus our attention. We will start heading towards the negative. And so when you look at the world, there's a lot that's not right, that's clearly not right. And so we can get overwhelmed and the net result is exhaustion mm. of some flavor, emotional exhaustion, nervous exhaustion, physical exhaustion, need for duvet days, mental health days, whatever you like to call it. It's a mm-hmm. loss of energy. So therefore, we need to know what leaks the energy. And that's the next thing is that actually it's not you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's how the system works. The system has a bias towards the negative. So don't think that's you. That's the system. So, oh, right. I thought it was just me. I thought it was something wrong with me. Why am I always so negative? Blah, 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 blah. No, it's the system. There's a difference between you and then there's the system, you know, neurobiology. So therefore, you, Raphael, what's it you want? You go, well, I don't want to lose energy. All right. So now we start to look at how does the system work that's causing you to lose energy? So one of the biggest, I would, I would argue, the, the biggest place that we lose energy, head and shoulders above anything else, is it's not the external world. You could say, well, it's the state of um, state of pollution, or it's the state of the government, or it's the state of the prime minister, or it's the state of the president, or it's, you know, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that my car's been broken in, or the fact that I've got low bank account, it's out there. Right. Here's the kicker, that the problem is not the problem. The problem, I've got no money in the bank account, is not the problem. The problem is the meaning that I make 
of the problem. So the fact that there's no money in the bank account is stress neutral. It's just black and white. It's just an event. It's just a thing. And it's according to the meaning that we make as to whether we go above the clouds or below the clouds or the internal state that's generated. And because we've got this negative bias, 70 to 80% of the time, we have a negative interpretation. Mm -hmm. I'll never have any money. I don't know. I can't, no matter what I do, I'll never do it. I'm never good enough. I don't have enough time to get things done. Whatever. Those are all negative voices, and we hit, we move in the direction where we focus our attention. Guess what? We start to hit more in that area. Downward cycle, energy drops. We feel unable, inept, until it reaches such a point where we say, I need to change. And for most people, they think the change has got to happen out there, mm. but it actually starts with how do you shift that inner thinking that changed the belief structures? Right. That's the realm that I work in, or one of them, because obviously – to work on the outer world as well, but outer world of action. But to to plug the holes, you've got to start with where you're losing the most energy, and that's through the inner voice. So what is the limiting belief, and then how do you pivot? Um, and you can actually change a limiting belief in an instant. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. That is the good news. <laughs> it's because most people's belief about beliefs is that either they can't be changed, or it's really hard, and it's torturous, and I don't know if I'm up for it. So I'm more or less stuck with the beliefs I have. And the beliefs are created between the age of seven and, I mean, zero and seven, right? right. Which is when you had no, you're just, you're just totally absorbing life. That's, that's where I work at how to reduce the, um, the energy leakage is, is at that level. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, how do we top up with high quality energy? Right. Bruce, one of the things that, that you mentioned is when we are in our own head and we're thinking negative thoughts, it, for me, it also, anytime, it's also going to affect your body because your mind and your body is connected. Totally. So if you, if you have sluggish thoughts, your body's going to be sluggish too. Totally, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because you were talking about energy. And for me, energy is everything, right? Yes. Because it, it drives us. You know, if you feel good, both mentally and your body's going to feel good. Sure. Right? Yeah. If, if you're worried, if you have anxiety, some people get when they have anxiety, they throw up, they, they feel nauseous, they have all these different feelings. So when we actually can make our body change in the way we think. Yeah. So you're talking about top down, bottom up. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, in terms of, I've been talking about the mind. So think about it, five primary drivers. So think of it, it's like five circles, one at 12 o'clock, one at two o'clock, one at four o'clock, one at seven o'clock and one at 10 o'clock. The first one, the very top, it all starts with a belief, which is something that happened between zero and seven. 95% of our belief structure happened. We were wired a certain way as children, which is what you're talking about, our upbringing. Mm-hmm. So the first one is belief. Then it moves to the two o'clock, which is thoughts. So we have thoughts that are in alignment with our belief, our beliefs. Now, we have thoughts, but our body feels our thoughts in terms of feeling. So this is the whole body part, the interconnection it's next to instantaneous. You have a thought, there's an associated congruent feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's at four o'clock feeling. So your beliefs at 12, at two o'clock, it's thoughts, four o'clock, it's feelings, lead to certain actions or inactions or distractions. Right. So if I'm, if my belief is I'm not good enough, I have the thoughts, I don't think I can do this, feelings of anxiety and insecurity, uh, actions of I'll avoid the thing because if I'll probably make a mistake and I'll probably get fired for the thing. So why do the thing? And therefore, the results are suboptimal, which confirm the belief I'm not good enough. So you've got this psychosybenetic loop. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the body, absolutely. So you can, there is an impact of the body on the brain, no question. And this is bottom up. This is breath work, sleep, right. food, uh, mindfulness, yeah, nutrition. And because certainly, because if you've got a sluggish mind, if I can't think and you start to move, Certainly, that'll start to loosen things up in your mind, no question. So there is a bottom up and a top down, and and you need them both, right? You need them both. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So, what made you decide that you wanted to do something more than what most people were doing, where you created an MBA level leadership program, and you're doing it in the university? You're doing short courses. What what are you doing with that? Yeah. So the I chose leadership which is a, <laughs> a.k.a. self-leadership, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. personal development. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I was desperate to learn. I, how do you learn about personal development? There's not a lot of time. So if you make it your job, you've got to learn. 
So right. that's how I've designed my life that I need to be on top of this because I'm using myself as the incubator right. to learn the stuff, to trial it out, to then teach it and, and so on. I, I work with leaders because they're on the leading edge of trying to be better and have higher performance. They, they said yes to some, become a better version of themselves. So that, that was what made me do it was I needed to know. Mm. <laughs> and there's two levels of knowing. There's the knowing where you hear it and then you just you can watch a YouTube video on something. Oh, yeah, that's nice to know. And it sits there somewhere um, in a package that will be expendable because you won't remember it, mm. but you want it to be part of your life. So therefore, the best way to do that, I've found, is to teach it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what forced me into it is that I had to at least get some way of explaining, of trying to understand the concepts, embed them, digest them, to then be able to talk about it in a way that hopefully landed with other people. And that process of just constant, it's 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 like um, stroking the nail. What do I mean by that is you've got to, how do you make a nail, six-inch nail, into a magnet? You have a magnet and you just stroke over the top of the nail right. and over a period of time, the molecules get aligned. Well, that was it. With all the teaching and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating, I've tried to align myself a certain way. Nice, nice. When I teach instructors, one of the things I'm always telling them is that you need to know what you're teaching, but you need to know it from every angle. Mm. Otherwise, you don't know it. You can only, if you know it one way, you're limiting yourself. So for me, when I'm teaching an instructor or a teacher or anything like that, it's important for them to understand it backwards, (laughs) forward, sideways, from the top, from the bottom. And then be able to relay it back in so many different ways because people learn at different levels. Mm. Some people are visual, some are auditory, some are kinesthetic where they actually have to feel it. For me, when I'm trying to help somebody understand something, it's important for them to really grasp it, to do it. And what you just said is, makes perfect sense because, you can, like you said, you can watch something on YouTube. And you maybe you understand it, but you don't understand it until you've made mistakes doing it, until you tried it, trial and error, and you've gone through all the different levels and stages that our mind goes through when we first learn something. And a lot of people try to run through something really quick and they think they got it. Meanwhile, they don't, they barely have touched the surface. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's another component too, and that is. Um, I think it's important to align what you know and what you teach with who you're meant to be because then you can mm. call it your superpower and then you can call it your purpose, aligning it to your purpose because then you've got additional energy that comes through what you're saying. It's not just a set of words that, are, that placate a particular issue. There's actually your life gets passed through your words. So they've got this additional vitamin. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I look back on secondary school and there's some teachers that passed their passion of their subject across. I remember it. It was so distinct. One year I had a particular English teacher that was dry and boring and nothing. I just got no interest. The next year I had someone who just loved the English language, mm-hmm. loved poetry. He would, he'd come in and be, he'd, be, he'd be spouting poetry as we walked in. And now at the time you look at him and laugh and you think, what a, you know, what a ridiculous character. But what he was able to pass across was his love and his passion for, mm-hmm. for the English language, for the words, for how word, for rhythm and rhyme and, and the, the essence of the message, not just the words. And, and that stood out. He got me interested in, in, in English language. How did that faculty turn on to me? It turned on because of his passion. Right. So it was aligned to his purpose. So right. we can teach something, but it might be separate to who we are or need to be in life, if we can connect that, line up what we're teaching with who we are in the world, then it, what you say has got extra vitamin. Yeah. You, you know, one of, one of the things exactly what you just said is a lot of people are doing a, a job or they have a career, but they're in the wrong place. Mm. They're in the wrong career mm. because that's not where they're aligning. Mm. That's not where their passion is. And so many people are unhappy because they haven't found their purpose or they don't know how to look for it. Yeah. And I guess that's yeah. where we would come to you, right? To, to help us align, to help us find our purpose, because we all have a purpose, every one of us. 
And a lot of people are they're just doing a job because maybe that's what everybody else is doing. Mm. But they haven't looked for their passion. And if you can find your passion and make a career out of it, you're golden. Yeah, and and I, I yeah, I totally agree. And the approach that I take around that is it's a two to five word phrase. Why two to five words? Easy to remember. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Right. I think it's important to have your purpose really clear. And the way I do it is in two to five words. Why is because easy to remember. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a couple of examples as to what I mean, because you've got the words, but there's also got to be the energy factor. Right. So I call it a resonant purpose statement. Why resonant? Because every cell in your body has got to resonate. That's how you know it is actually a purpose statement, not just a nice set of words. You go, oh, lovely set of words. It's got to really resonate. Mm-hmm. So as an example, one lady came to me and her previous purpose statement that she'd worked on herself was to be a great mum, be a great mum. And she was. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a purposeful mum. Unfortunately, her two kids had left home, and so she was felt she felt like her job was pretty much over. She felt like she was drifting. So we went through the process, and she came out with two words. And those two words were gracefully relentless. Mm. And on the face of it, it doesn't appear like a purpose statement, but what it did do, it, I mean, for, to you and I, right? right. It's, we're not in her life or her body. But for her, it was a deeply aligning phrase so much so that three years later she came up to me again she said remember that exercise i went yeah she said do you remember the words i went no she said well let me show you something and she lifted up her she had long sleeved uh, blouse she lifted up and she had the words tattooed gracefully relentless on her forearm to remind herself of that's who she was in the world Mm. now that's a lady and an an older she was in her late 40s early 50s and there's a younger guy late 20s and he was telling me, so you say, well, how does a younger person come up with their purpose state? And he was reflecting a whole bunch of things about his life. But he remembered during his adolescence, 15, 16, he was in a rowing eight, as in eights, right? He was he's one of the oarsmen. Right. And it was so much, he said 95% of it he hated. He hated the coach. He hated getting up in the morning. Mm. He hated how sore you felt, blistered hands, et cetera. But he said there were two moments stood out above everything else. What it was, it was when they were both in the same race, the two moments happened in the same race, they're in a regatta, and they were all rowing together in time, so much so, in total harmony, that he said even the boat sang. Mm. And his phrase around that, because I said, wow, that's a powerful phrase. So part of the process I take people through, it's got to be in their language. So his phrase is the boat bloody sings. And so his life purpose is about creating circumstances that are so harmonious and so uplifting that even the environment sinks. Mm. So there are, and he knows he's got leadership orientations. So he's going to create, he's looking, what a fantastic question. How do I create a circumstance in which everyone sinks? Part of everyone and everything and even the environment sinks. I mean, that's, (laughs) where do you go with that question? But that now is this true north. And that's the point of clarity that we all need. Mm-hmm. So you could be you could be a, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. It doesn't matter because he could be living his purpose inside any one of those things by helping the environment sing. So that's the other element to, because we were talking about the English teacher loving what he's doing and therefore more of the vitamin of him gets through because that's his purpose in life is to maybe inspire others through language or something like that. How do, how do we help someone who... And we started with emotional scars, right. who has so much anger, but maybe they're really good at their job. Maybe they're a leader and they want to release that anger. They want to be in harmony with their, their life, with their family, with their, their career. And, but they have this anger and it, it kind of comes out at the wrong time where they're hurting people. Sure. And, and maybe someone said, you need to... Find somebody to guide you. How, how can we guide someone like that? We've now got two data points. One is top down, bottom up. Top down is what I've just talked to you about, which is what is their purpose? Let's say we've done work with this person as to what their purpose is. Then we can say, okay, so there's the circumstance over here that you got angry. Yes. How would you, as the man who now makes the bloody boat sing, address that, that situation? 
So now he's referencing it from something that's resonated, resonant for him, and he can see, ah, I would do it this way. Or he would say, I don't know, but I need to find out, and I'll know what fits with that philosophy, that purpose. So that's the top-down version. The bottom-up would be around the limiting beliefs. So there's a circumstance that's turning up, yep, and it made me really angry. Okay, what was going on in your head about that circumstance? Oh, he's such an idiot. Why do I have to listen to him when I know so much more? Or Hmm. I'm just not getting ahead. I'm never getting ahead. I'll never get ahead. And so we've got this inner voice. So we need to know what that is, get that out, surface it. Mm -hmm. And then inside that, there will be a core limiting belief. So I'll give you another example. This is a, a, a lady. She's a barrister. So she's in the area of law. She works with appeals. She's an appellate barrister. She works with appeals. So a decision has been made, sentence handed out. She goes back and says, no, it was incorrect. This is what you neglected. So she needs to be really sharp. Doing it for about 15 years, 90% success rate, which is pretty much unheard of, but it was killing her. And the reason it was killing her mm. was that here was her passion. She was doing her calling. She knew this was this is what she wanted to be in the world. But six months earlier, a judge had ripped into her in public in a court case. And for 15 minutes, just ripped her apart, which was in itself, that's a lot of time to spend on that. You, you imagine the full force of someone who's your authority having a go you in public with your peers and in front of your client, 15 minutes, you got nowhere to go. That really ruptured her self-confidence. So what she was living with, and, and when I met up with her, it was having impact on her sleep. She couldn't sleep. She's waking up tired. She's distracted as a parent. She was snippy with her kids. Um, she couldn't mm. focus at work. Um, she's worried that she'd be found out that maybe he was right and that she was an imposter, that all this time she thought she was good, but in fact she wasn't. Mm. And so she then started to be hypervigilant around emails because what inside that email could someone complain to the law society and therefore get a barred or dis- disbarred? So she was, you know, she's definitely under the clouds. She was in that anxiety, chronic anxiety state. Okay. Okay, so we took it back to that moment, and what was going on in her head was, I'm failing at this, I'm no good at this, I let my client down, how am I peers going to think about me? We drilled a little bit further, and it was, I'm a failure. Mm. So no wonder she was not feeling well, because you talk about the body, the mind-body connection, the brain was saying, you're a failure, the body going, oh, okay, well, if that's what you want us to produce, we'll produce that for you, being the devoted servant that it is, and... So that was her perpetual state. I am a failure. I'm, I'm failing and I'm a failure. Now, what was it? So we identified that limiting belief, which was leaking and exhausting. Now, what's interesting around a limiting belief, and most people don't know this, is that what sits underneath it, just underneath that, is a much more powerful truth. What? How do you get to that? And just, and I didn't, I didn't, she, she came, she identified this herself. We went through the process and she realized that she, the massive aha was that she, it was like steel against steel because she had to go back and forensically be better than even the judges and the other solicitors. She had to go back and evaluate uh, cases. She needed to be sharp. Mm. And if she was going to have a go at these judges and other people who made decisions, of course they're going to fight back. She had to expect it. So it was steel against steel, and she needed that to become sharp, to become the peace person that she needed to be to not just be good, but be excellent. What a massive turnaround. And so now, she number one, she expects it. Number two, she wonders why it hasn't happened. She knows she's not pressing hard enough, it hasn't. And when it comes, she goes, great, I need to sharpen up. Oh, yeah. What a turnaround. So it's an alignment with her purpose. It's energizing. She's prepared. So talk about it's a scar, well, it's a scar but she's healed beyond the scar. And so that's... So you said there's this person who's angry at work and wants to have a better family life. You can just, okay, top down, is it in alignment with who you want to be? They may or may not be able to answer that. But typically we get the greatest transformation when we identify. So in the moment, what was you thinking? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm never going to get ahead. I'm stuck here and this is my life and blah, 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 blah. But there's a deeper truth that sits underneath that. And once he understands what his thought process is, number one, it doesn't have the same power. And number two, it gets transformed by this new empowering belief that he discovers. Right. So it's called that's called an aha moment. Mm-hmm. So you have the two and two together, 
Now you're cooking with gas. You are cooking with gas. When, when we and you're adding some some fuel to that too. What happens is my my personal belief is that and we talked about it, a lot of limiting beliefs and people allow them to come in. And, you know, I, I think that if people were a little bit more receptive to when a limiting belief is coming in and to push it out, to, to have a stronger self-belief and believe in oneself, I think that limiting beliefs will have a hard time coming in. But so many people, so many of us, right? So many of us. Can I push back on that? Absolutely, push back. Yeah. Okay. Because there's conscious thought mm-hmm. and there's semi and, semi and unconscious thought. Cogn- in, in the realm of cognition, mm-hmm. there's conscious and semi and unconscious. Conscious thought is only 5% of that whole range of cognition. So semi and unconscious thought is 95% of what actually goes on. So a lot of that's happening under the hood that we're not even aware of. And that, what's going on under the hood, is... 30,000 times more powerful than conscious thought. So this is why affirmations, whilst they're good, while you're saying them, you feel good. But as soon as you're distracted, you say consciously saying it. But as soon as you're distracted, put your attention somewhere else, something else gets in and it gets in. Mm. Belief systems and belief structures happen and they were so deeply embedded when we were between zero and seven, they're in that semi the subconscious and we're not even aware of it. So this is, you can approach it via the conscious realm, but it's re- it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our belief structure is like etching into the system. Conscious thought is like embossing. Do it repetitiously embossing and try and over time, that will have an impact. And yes, it does, but it takes lots of repetitions. What you need to be able to do is to go and meet the limiting belief where it is, accept it, not fight it, but ask the question, is it true? Because the fundamental of a belief is that which I hold to be true. That's the definition of a belief. Mm-hmm. So if I was to say to you, what's something you believe in? You say, well, <laughs> um, okay, as an example, what's something you believe in? I believe that um, if you focus on the right things, uh, if you apply yourself, you'll get better. Mm. Okay. And, and why do you hold that belief? Well, because people I hold in high esteem, authorities have said that, I've validated, I've got evidence in my life. So we hold a belief because we have evidence of it. We hold it to be true because of the evidence. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of what I talked about with those five primary drivers is that you can have a belief, but then our lives are aligned in such a way that the evidence supports the belief. (laughs) So it's tricky. It's under the surface. It is very tricky. But, but, you know, what I'm thinking is that, and you're right, you have to ask, do I believe this? And is it true for me? Mm. Because a lot of people, if they tell a lie, if they tell it long enough, they'll believe it, mm, right? Mm. Where are we and, and what can we do with limiting beliefs? And you're right. You have to attack it where it is. And is it true for me? And if it is true for me, it's a limiting belief. What can I do about it? Well, the challenge is that, it, uh, let's just say for a moment, you, you, you think I'm not good enough. I know it's not. You don't have that belief, but let's just say you did. <laughs> now, I can say to you, is that true? And you'll go, hang on, where's the evidence? And you'll see all the evidence to confirm that it's true. And you go, yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. But what hasn't happened, see, what happens is we filter so much of life mm-hmm. because there's so much coming at us. We filter. It's called a reticular activating system. And we only see that which is important and that which we have a belief about. So... Right. It's a bit like the analogy, you think about buying a car, you buy a car, and now you start seeing that car everywhere. Why? Because the car was always, cars were always out there. You just didn't see them before because the reticular activating system um, wasn't instructed that it was important for you to see those cars. So you never saw them. Mm-hmm. So it, if I start, we all start from, we have the beliefs that we do. Why? Because of the evidence. And I see evidence everywhere to confirm that belief. That's why I hold that belief. I wouldn't have that belief if I didn't see the evidence. So part of the dismantling of the that is a disempowering belief is that you need to look and see what is some order of the opposite and look for evidence of that mm-hmm. to check which is more true. So for instance, go to that lady who was the barrister. Was it true that you're failing? She go, well, yeah, the evidence was here and here and here and here. Okay, let's just let's just pivot. Let's just play with this. What's the opposite? I'm not failing. Oh, in fact, I'm succeeding. What's the evidence of that? Oh, uh, oh, well, there's not much of it because 
No, no, but what is the evidence? Well, this and that. What else is there? There's this and that. What else is there? This and that. And so now causing her reticular activating system to say, okay, let's look for other things we weren't seeing before. You start to see the evidence that supports she is succeeding. And then the question, which is more true? That's how you, because she will see that the empowering, the new empowering decision is far more true because there's the evidence now than this constrictive limiting decision or limiting belief. Mm. So that's actually how you disempower, disentangle a limiting belief is that you check it out with what appears to be an opposite one, but you look for the evidence around that. Then you ask the question, which is more true? Uh, hopefully that's clear. No, that is very clear. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not tangled. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And, and I'm glad we're talking about this because, you know, so many people are walking around with limiting beliefs, with doubt, self-doubt. But I, I personally believe that we can change that. And, and I know that yeah. you do that and, and you help people do that. Sure. So what's one of the biggest things or biggest challenges that you've had with somebody who has limiting beliefs? And it's that, that self-doubt, I, I can only imagine. But what would you say it is? <laughs> so the biggest challenge that I've had helping others. Yes. Ah, good question. So my biggest limiting belief inside all of this is that I was actually trusting myself. When I say trusting myself, because there's, you're always scanning for the answer. Mm-hmm. There's something, and he says, I think the answer's over there. And then you hear it go, wow, that could be the answer. I think that is the answer. I think there's a, oh. And so you pay a bit more attention, and then you start to apply it. Say, well, it's working on me. And then you begin to try it elsewhere. And it's, yeah, but it might just be me. It might be unique to me. And then you begin to apply it to other people, and it's all my here. So it's that initial trusting of my systems. Did I really trust the systems where they said that's the answer? And then mm-hmm. I applied it to me, and it seemed to the answer because it worked on me. But is it really one of the a, a powerful? So it was a lesson in trusting myself. Nice. And in fact, trusting not just my thinking, but that other element. You could call it intuition. Intuition, you can call it your purpose, you can call it your drive, your spirit, whatever you like to call it. But there's certain points in life where no matter how much reading, you either feel something, right. <laughs> you can read it and it makes sense. But that only goes, if I, I metaphorically say, skin deep. Mm-hmm. And then you get a feeling state. And that's like an all throughout state. And you go, wow, intuition. Mm. And that's, that's even more powerful. And then you've almost got to add it up and, and apply your learning to that. Does it make sense? Does it fit? Can I talk about it? Does it? Can I validate it? So my biggest limiting belief was, is this solution just my des- another desperate act of trying to find an answer that sort of works mm. or does it re- is it as big as I think it is? <laughs> you, know, you know, definitely what you talked about was trust. I mean, so many people don't really trust themselves to do certain things. They don't have that faith in themselves. And when you mm. talk about mm. trust, there's also faith, right? Yeah. What's yeah. your belief? What do you believe in? Where, you know, and, and like you said, when you from zero to seven, you have these beliefs that are kind of drilled into you from your upbringing, from your parents. Look at the way you were brought up, the way I was brought up. Everybody's brought up a little bit differently. Mm. Some are very different. But it's those beliefs that, that we get that put, get put into our heads at that age and then what we can do with them. And then can we come back to them? And then do we even recall them? Because there's so many things when you really start. And one of the things you talked about is really getting into yourself. Mm. When you really start diving in is who am I? And I think that's the big, biggest question for all of us to be able to understand is who am I? And that's the question I think we need to wake up every morning and ask, who am I today? Am I the same person I was yesterday? Or am I going to be better than I was a year ago? Or am I the same person? Or, you know, who am I? So for me, that's a very interesting question that I ask myself every day. Who am I? And and what's my purpose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think a good question around that is if I would overhear someone 12 months from now, if I do overhear people talking about me, what would I like to have heard them say? He's this, he's that, he's the other thing. And then 
who am I? Well, I'm the person who's becoming those things. Mm-hmm. So looking to, you're always in a state of becoming. But yeah, I think it's a very valid question. And then the other question that you can ask, who am I? And the other one that can follow that is, who do I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. who am I today is not necessarily who I'm going to be tomorrow yeah. or a year yeah. from now, because we all keep evolving. I mean, the mind is so amazing that the thoughts that we had last year, we, we can always look back and go, mm, I can't believe I even thought that way. Or I can't even believe I had that thought because we've evolved. Yeah. We're the, the best computer that no one can ever recreate. And they may try, but they'll never recreate the mind of a human being. Mm. And we are constantly growing. But, but here's the thing, right? Can we constantly grow if we sit and watch TV all day long? Can we? <laughs> I think we have to engage with other people. We have to be able to read and, and all these different things that, that we need to put into our brain to assess things. And one of the things that you talked about was analyzing, analyzing the limiting beliefs, analyzing your true beliefs, analyzing your true self, analyzing of a daily circumstance of everything that you're doing, I think is big. Mm. Well, what it does do, what analysis or review does do, it, puts, it separates you from the thing and it gives you, therefore, an opportunity to make new decisions about the thing, which, I mean, journaling helps with that. And I, I think that's vital because when we're in it, we're in it, there's not a lot of separation, but when we can review, we go, ah, right, yes, that didn't work so well, I could have done that better. Okay, make your decision from there, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you talk about journaling because I actually have, I believe I have five different books I journal in. Wow. Okay. Because I've, I've segmented, <laughs> I, I might be crazy, but I'm segmenting my, sure. my thinking. Yeah. Because I, I'm going in so many different directions. If I put it all in one journal, it's going to be mishmash. Ah, but if okay. I can compartmentalize it, and then I can say, this is for this, this is for that. And then what winds up happening is I can go and review them independently. Well, and I then, I'm, oh, wow, this one actually. This is good, but actually this belongs in, with this book because all day long, I'm, I'm, besides thinking and writing and, and doing all these different things and talking to amazing people as yourself, it, it allows me to have different, let's call it, right? right? Different thought processes. And so for me, journaling is not just writing things down, but it's more where am I writing it down? What's the purpose of what I'm writing down? Right. So then that way I can analyze it later on. And even a month from now, I can go back and say, let me look at this book. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking. Am I still thinking that way? Right. Right. Is that really where I am? Or, holy cow, I can't believe I wrote that down because I woke up at four in the morning and I had this thing in my head and I had to write it down. Right. And I forgot about it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Now let me do something with it. Right. So for me, journaling has become bigger than just writing it in one book. Sure. Because my mind and everybody's mind is so complex that I am putting it, let's say, in files, right? Yes. So that I can go back and look at it. So that's, that's, that's the way I journal. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the way I've been journaling lately. Wow. No, I've not heard of that, that particular approach. Fascinating. We all are fascinating. Right? <laughs> So complex we are, yeah. and yet simple, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes Absolutely. the simple is beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, sometimes, and when I say that, what I mean by that is that sometimes we run around and do all these crazy things when we didn't have to. We could have just taken that one step instead of three hundred steps and accomplished the same thing. Yeah. Who, who would you say influenced you the most when you were growing up? Oh, as I was growing up, it would be definitely my, would be my mother. Yeah, without question. Yeah, she was a dominant influence. Yeah. And then later on, who, who would you say is a, another person besides your mom who was a big influence on you? Well, later it was, uh, I, I, I talked about the organization I joined when I, um, at the same time I went to university. And so 
person who's in charge of that and his teachings and, and that sort of thing, it's, it's still on, that's ongoing. So that's an ongoing pleasure to continue to read. I think we've probably all got mm-hmm. people that we resonate with in terms of their messaging just sort of makes sense. So that's been an ongoing influence. I've never, uh, I only met him once. So I can't say it was an in-person relationship. It was more through his works, through his, through his writings and videos. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I'm, I'm, we've been married, my wife and I have been married for about 33 years, and she's had very um, strong and, and positive influence on me as well. Nice. Mm. So as a coach, do you currently have your own coaches as well? I do. I do. I, um, I've got two coaches and a mastermind group that I connect with. Mm. So what's interesting is that whilst my, one of my specialities is around the mindset, and therefore I've got systems and I should be able to apply it to myself, you can't get, you can't get the same leverage, you can't get the insight, you need the space, you know, you're inside the bottle and you're trying to get to the label, you just simply can't. So I've got two, mm-hmm. two guys who went through the same coaching training I went through, so we both know each other's the, the process. So I catch up with them, and it's interesting to think why too was because they are so different. They come at things differently, and so therefore gives you space in different ways. And then I've got a mastermind group, and we catch up every week. Uh, and the other two guys are in the same that they they've got small businesses as well. And what are they looking to do? We hold each other accountable. We support each other. Come up with ideas. So those are the those are the coaches at the if you like the more practical end of things. And then. I've got people I meet up with um, internationally around more the the spiritual conversations that are so stimulating. I think it's essential, mm. absolutely essential. You've got to find your tribe, people that of like mind, and they they're able to hold you to a higher standard. I mean, listen, I started coaching call because I I believe in coaching so much. It's important for all of us to understand that hiring a coach is important to level up because that coach. Hopefully we have the right coach because sometimes you may have the wrong coach and you need to look somewhere else. Mm. But a coach who has their be- your best interests at heart is going to help you elevate. Yeah. And that coach is going to be, my gosh, they're going to help you in so many different ways, probably more ways than you expected if they're a really good coach. Because it's not just a, a m- mindset type of coach necessarily because you may go in thinking it's a mindset, but then all of a sudden it's like, it's physical. It's, it's everything it, you know, they're talking about your finances. How, what are you doing here? What are you doing there? And like yourself, you're going to be the kind of coach that is going to dive deep into someone and help them understand and help them gain more than they probably came looking for. Right. Well, that's the intent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure it's not just the intent, but it's, it's the way you come across, you know, because the amount of effort you put into your own process just goes to show the type of coach that you are, that you're, you're someone that if anybody comes to you, they're going to be getting way more than they ever bargained for. Well, I think that's what it is to be human. It is, right? It is. Mm. Bruce, this has been a lot of fun, and, and you've taught me so much. I really appreciate this. Oh, and, 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 you as, and, and me, I'm now going to review my whole journaling concept and thoughts and where they go and oh yeah, it's, it's great <laughs> yeah yeah you know that's why it's 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 fun to talk to like-minded people because just one little thing they'll tell us we'll go hmm i didn't think of it that way. Mm, mm, so, and, and and a coach is definitely look if you're looking for any type of coach because we all need coaches they're going to help you level up way faster than if you tried it on your own sure I mean, there's nothing wrong with you trying it on your own. Absolutely. We all have done it, right? You've done it. This is how you found your program. I've done it. We all have done it. But to have someone else say, you're doing a great job, but let's try it this way. Let's do this. Let's do that. That's where you're going to level up because maybe they've done what you're looking to do and they've done the mistakes that will help, they'll help you avoid. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Bruce, tell us how we can find you and, and how somebody may want to you know, reach out to you for maybe coaching or advice or anything of like that. Yeah, sure. Well, look me up on LinkedIn, Bruce Ross. It was Bruce S. Ross, but look me up on LinkedIn. Or it might be uh, look up Flowpreneur, F-L-O-W-P-R-E-N-E-U-R dot co. 
Bruce Ross on LinkedIn. Perfect. And I'll put that in the in the description as well. Fantastic. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. It's been it's been fun on my side as well. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, that's that's what it's about, right? Good conversation. Yeah. Hopefully we we were able to give some nuggets to someone and they'll say, you know, I need coaching. I need I guess to be hoping, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you one last question. Sure. If you don't mind. What advice would you give someone who wants to become a coach? And it doesn't matter the type of coach. Uh, I would say there's probably very few vocations that are as enriching and as challenging and as personally developing as coaching. Mm. Because you've got to understand yourself, you've got to understand the person that you're working with, and you've got to have skill sets that are relevant. So, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's deeply, deeply satisfying and fulfilling and there can be real magic in the conversations absolutely good advice mm-hmm. all right buddy thank you enjoy the rest of your day you too thank you i hope you enjoyed today's episode i'll be back with a new episode and a new guest you can find all episodes of the coaching call podcast on apple anchor spotify iHeartRadio, stitcher and wherever you listen to podcasts i ask that you please leave me an honest review This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.